to NeuroPodcases, a neuroscience podcast created for medical students. We hope you enjoy listening. Hello, my name is Sarah, one of the neurology registers working at the Wilson Centre, and I'm here today with Dr. Smith, uh, one of the consultant neurologists. We're going to do a session today based on a first fit clinic and the typical histories and patients you might see. Do you have anything that you particularly think about when you're dealing with first fit clinics, Dr. Smith, or a particular approach to, to patients presenting with a loss of consciousness? Well, a couple of things. I, I, I want to take as detailed a history as I can from a patient uh, and an eyewitness uh, and will, if necessary, phone up eyewitnesses in the clinic or track them down after the clinic. Uh, and increasingly we're using um, video clips of events to assist diagnosis and often avoid unnecessary tests. Okay, so I'll crack on with the first case then. So we've got a 21-year-old physiotherapy student who was on the train on their way to placement. Uh, Witnesses saw him collapse and he was told that he twitched on the floor for about 30 seconds and was also incontinent when he came round. Uh, when he did come round, he took himself home initially. He didn't feel terribly unwell and uh, had to have an appointment with the GP who then referred him on to the first fit clinic. So is there anything else you want to know or is that enough information at this point to have been told that somebody saw him twitching? Well, the, fir- the first thing I would draw to the attention of students uh, is that the fact that he was twitching and the fact that he lost control of his bladder do not mean that he had a seizure. And what we need here is much more historical information. Okay, so when you do speak to him in the clinic, he gives his own subjective account. So he felt that over minutes when he was stood on the train, he started to feel quite warm and unwell. Uh, His vision then started to go black and his hearing became muffled and changed. Uh, And the next thing he knew, he was on the floor. He remembers people being around him and remembers people telling him he'd had a fit. Uh, when he tried to stand up, he, he felt that he couldn't, felt too unwell again. Um, but eventually when he did get up and start getting home, he felt unwell for about 30 minutes um, after the event. Uh, he says he's never had anything like this before. Uh, and he was rushing that morning and hadn't had any breakfast. So, so what do you think the diagnosis is here? Dr. Yes, I, I'm confident that this young man's had uh, a simple faint. Uh, the DVLA criteria for a simple faint require there to have been uh, a precipitant. Uh, in, in this case, uh, the fact that he hadn't had any breakfast uh, and he was, uh, in his words, rushing around. A postural element, uh, so he was uh, in the upright position, sitting, I think, when his symptoms started, but then subsequently stood up. Uh, and that he had uh, a prodrome, which was a build-up of symptoms over several minutes, uh, and those symptoms uh, being suggestive of global cerebral hypoperfusion, so feeling warm, being light-headed, and vision darkening would be typical. Uh, and as I mentioned earlier, the the fact that he was observed to twitch for a short period of time does not make this an epileptic seizure. Um, motor phenomena such as twitching are commonly seen in simple faints. The other thing you often see with um, faints is that people can feel unwell for quite a time afterwards. He says 30 minutes, but it's not uncommon for patients who've had a faint 
to say that they feel uh, sickly and fatigued for hours afterwards. Okay, so you mentioned about precipitants. Uh, this gentleman has a couple of precipitants here, not eating breakfast and rushing around. Any other ones that, that can come before a faint? Uh, so standing for a prolonged period in a hot environment, uh, seeing something unpleasant. So some people might describe themselves as squeamish if they see uh, blood uh, or, or, or uh, violence on, on a TV or cinema screen. Uh, experiencing discomfort such as venipuncture or, or the pain of an injury uh, while playing sport. Lots of things uh, can trigger a vagal response which will lead to a drop in blood pressure. Okay. Um, and in terms of any practical advice or management for, for this guy before he leaves the clinic? Yes, yeah, so he, he needs to be advised um, to uh, avoid precipitants because he, he could be prone to, to have further faints. So the precipitants would in, uh, or thing, things to avoid would be uh, missing meals, um, uh, b becoming dehydrated, um, and you know, as a physiotherapist, perhaps spending long time uh, standing, uh, which can lead to venous pooling, uh, lowering venous return, and, and dropping the cardiac output, which can, uh, in physiological terms, be part of the cause of a faint. The other thing, which is really important, is that should this happen again. Uh, he immediately recognised the warning symptoms which actually give him some time to make himself safe so that as soon as he felt unwell he should lie down uh, and remain uh, lying down until he feels better. Okay, great. So we're on to the next patient then. So it's uh, the next patient is a 34-year-old dental nurse who's been referred by accident emergency after presenting to them with multiple events. Um, so she feels that she's been having events for around three years. First was having episodes where she'd, quote, drift off and stop concentrating, and she's been told that these are absences. In the last six months, she's had what she describes as being big fits. Her last one was at a family party and an ambulance was called. She remembers feeling tingling in her hands, breathing quickly, and then her next memory is waking up in the emergency department. Her partner is with her and he described the last event. Uh, he said that the shaking lasted about 55 minutes in total before she was given something in A&E. And when he shows you a video, uh, he, you can see that she's lying on her back, her eyes are closed, and her left leg has a fine, high-frequency shake to it. Her arms appear floppy and her head is moving side to side in a quick, no-no movement. Uh, she's making no sounds at all and there's no evidence of cyanosis or pallor. In terms of her past medical history, uh, she's fit and well and takes no medication. So what do you think the likely diagnosis is here? So the, f the first point to make is that a, 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 a person in their 30s uh, doesn't get absences. Ab absence seizures are something which start in childhood. Uh, the, 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 the bigger attacks sound like they start with uh, hyperventilation so she's aware that she's breathing quickly and she's got peripheral paresthesia which is common uh, in a hyperventilation or panic attack but this then evolves uh, to what sounds like 
non-epileptic attack, even non-epileptic status given the duration. I'd be immediately asking uh, her boyfriend whether she was shaking continuously for 55 minutes or whether she was, uh, whether the shaking was stopping and starting, which is a very common feature of uh, non-epileptic attacks and also whether he had tested her responsiveness during the periods where she wasn't shaking. Other features supporting non-epileptic attack uh, are the eye closure at onset, um, the nature of the uh, shaking, it doesn't sound like clonic jerking, uh, the side-to-side -side head movements and the protracted nature of the event without any cyanosis or tongue biting. Okay. So how useful is it when we're dealing with any loss of consciousness to get a good description or a video of the events? Do you think we'd have been able to make this diagnosis confidently without the video? Yes, I could have made this diagnosis without the video. <laughs> Can you tell me why? Well, I could have made this diagnosis without the video because of the, the features of um, uh, anxiety uh, at the onset, uh, but particularly the the, the the um, the prolonged attack uh, of shaking without cyanosis or tongue biting, uh, and it's very useful to have seen the video. But I would have I would have been asking her boyfriend precisely these things about duration, whether there was stopping and starting, what the shaking looked like, were the eyes closed at the onset, um, was there side to side head shaking. So although the video is useful, kind of having a collateral history who, and somebody who can give you all that information is very important as well. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it, it's, it's really helpful that they've, they've turned up with the video. What, what we usually experience is that we take the history and we are very suspicious that somebody's having non-epileptic attacks. But it is handy to have a, a, a documentary evidence thereof uh, with a subsequent video. Um, because this will often prevent you from having to do periods of uh, EEG monitoring when you've, when you've clearly got captured a clinical attack on a video clip. Okay. And is there any practical advice for her um, as she leaves clinic? Anything we can do to help with management? Uh, well, when you've made a diagnosis like this, you've, you've, you've got to look for why it's happening to that person. So... As part of the, the history, I would have been asking about uh, past history of other conditions which we would call functional, such as fibromyalgia, irritable bowel, or chronic fatigue syndrome. I'd be asking about uh, mental health problems, particularly in the teens, such as anxiety and depression. Uh, I'd be emphasizing that uh, her attacks are real physical symptoms but that they're not due to structural disorder of the nervous system or indeed an electrophysiological discharge uh, in the brain but I would be emphasizing that they're real symptoms and I would explore uh, with the patient if, if she was able to why this might be happening to her and uh, I might use uh, an open-ended question such as uh, you know have you had any stresses or traumas in your life whether in the the recent past or, or even remotely okay.
And in terms of management, is there any value in, in repeat neurological assessments or is, is there something that maybe isn't in the hands of neurology to try and manage? Well, I, I think ha having made a diagnosis and, and if the patient is accepting of that diagnosis, I, I'll want to go straight to neuropsychological assessment to explore the reasons underpinning this presentation. Uh, in the event of a patient being less accepting of the diagnosis, you may need to collect more proof uh, in the form of capturing attacks during uh, EEG monitoring so that you can show the patient there's no electrical correlate of their events. Okay. Alright, so on to the third case. Uh, we've got a 28-year-old accountant who's been referred by the GP with multiple strange events at home. So they began around a year ago and can come on at any time, but she tends to have a few over a couple of days and then she might go a few weeks without any. They each start the same way, so they're beginning with a strange sensation in her epigastric region and then she'll have a strange dream-like memory feeling. And the next thing she knows, 10 or 20 minutes have passed and she'll feel generally tired but able to carry on with whatever she was doing. Her husband has seen some of these events and helpfully he's come to clinic as well. During these events, he says that she can grunt a response to a question but generally just ignores him. And her movements can be quite strange as well. She'll either rub her hands together or can just be seen staring into space. Uh, so she's, again, fit and well with no past medical history. Uh, do you have any thoughts about the likely diagnosis here? Okay, so she's got um, complex partial seizures which are arising from one of the temporal lobes. Um, and probably the medial aspect uh, of the temporal lobe or hippocampus. Um, from our own history, the attacks are, are stereotyped um, uh, and they occur in clusters and the hallucination of memory is a localising feature. Rising epigastric sensation is something also often seen in medial temporal uh, origin seizures. Um, in support of, we, we could have made the diagnosis from just seeing her on her own, uh, but it's always useful to have the eyewitness information, which includes partial responsiveness and manual automatisms. So there's no doubt that these are complex partial seizures. Okay, so, so what do automatisms look like? Um, so they're, they're, they're usually stereotype movements which can be uh, with the hands, so wringing of the hands or picking or plucking at the clothes. Uh, they can be uh, oral, so chewing or lip smacking, or they can be vocalizations, um, so you know, saying the same word, same, saying the same word, perhaps an expletive sometimes. Okay, what she's describing with that strange feeling in her epigastrium and, and the déjà vu type feeling uh, could be described as an aura, couldn't it? Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. So if she were to have that, those symptoms without losing awareness then you would call a, a simple partial seizure. And so I know I, I, you shouldn't think an aura is not a seizure. An aura is a seizure, an aura is a simple partial seizure. Mm -hmm. And it can look like, it, is, are they always the same or are they quite different, um, different people? Well, they'll, va they, they'll, they'll vary between people. So if you look at the population of patients with epilepsy, lots of different seizure manifestations, but within an individual, they will uh, tend to be the same every time or stereotyped. So is there any practical advice or management advice you'd give for her in this case? So she needs uh, an MRI scan of her brain, 
to look for a cause. She needs uh, to start medication. Re reasonable options would be lamotrigine, carbamazepine or levetiracetam. Um, and she needs to inform the DVLA that she's got epilepsy and she can't drive. Okay. All right. Uh, so on to our last case. We've got a 25-year-old electrician who's been referred by the GP after transient loss of consciousness. So his recollection is that he went for a run around the park when he collapsed without warning. Uh, someone passing told him that he was, he was pale as he was running and then he dropped to the floor and had a few seconds of convulsions. After around 30 seconds, he came to and felt well, but decided not to continue his run. He didn't feel unwell enough to go to A&E and just called his GP in the morning uh, after a bit of hassle from his family. He's had a similar thing like this happen before when he was a, doing a boot camp training session, but he just thought he pushed himself a bit too hard that time. Uh, so again, usually fit and well, uh, and the only contact he's had with medicine was when his father died suddenly when he was young, uh, but he doesn't really know what from. What do you think the diagnosis would be here? Yeah, so th this is a, a very worrying story, um, uh, one which neurologists see, although, to be honest, these patients should be going straight to the cardiologist, cardiology clinic. Um, so this is, this, is, this is pathological syncope or cardiac syncope. Uh, the clues are the occurrence during exercise, uh, the absence of a warning, the pallor, the brevity of the event and the rapid recovery, which shouldn't fool you into thinking it's not something important. Uh, and then the family history of sudden unexpected death. Okay. Um, how often do you see this cardiac syncope or this worrying uh, syncope in the first fit clinic? Don't know. No? Don't know, because we refer a lot of people to cardiology. And of course, even with this presentation, which is highly suspicious, um, it may not. It may have been a simple faint. Mm. It may have been a simple faint that, because he wasn't hydrated and he was exercising, he he may have fainted. We talked earlier about the key features of a simple faint requiring a, a precipitant, a postural element, and a prodrome. Well. This man could have a precipitant and a postural element, but he didn't have any warning symptoms. You do not infrequently see people with who you think have had a faint, but there was little or no warning. So you worry about a cardiac cause and you refer to the cardiologists. And of course, we get a lot of letters back from the cardiologists. It's hard to say what proportion actually turn out to have a serious cause. But coming back to this history, I wouldn't want to, I wouldn't want to misdirect the listener. This is a, a worrying history, and he's got some sort of uh, electrical disturbance of cardiac conduction until pro and otherwise. And I know the cardiologists are going to put a loop recorder in this chap, maybe even pace him empirically. Okay. Just to add, we'll definitely refer him to cardiology, but... In addition to the history of the event and the very important family history, you are going to ask this young man about episodes of dizziness without loss of consciousness, palpitations, chest discomforts uh, and shortness of breath. And you're going to feel his pulse, listen to his heart 
examine his chest and his ankles looking for any evidence of ankle edema right ventricular problems and you're going to do an ECG okay fantastic we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode look out for more podcast episodes coming out shortly